Chapter 1. An African-American Nation In August 1619, a Dutch man-of-war stopped in Virginia and sold the residents twenty Negroes. They were not slaves and were free after seven years of indentured labor. At least one of them later became a landowner. But slavery was legitimized in Virginia statutes in the 1650s as British sea power and the slave trade increased. Over 6,000 Africans were sold into slavery in Virginia alone, between 1699 and 1708. The slaves were from the Yoruban, Ashanti, Mandingo, Angolan, Wolof, Igbo, and other tribes, but in America they were spread out and separated. They could not maintain their tribal identities, so that their many languages and customs were poured into a common pot. The circle dance is a case in point— it had come from all over Central and Western Africa, almost always shuffled in a counterclockwise direction, except for women from Togo, for example, who on some occasions danced in a clockwise direction. But in America, the circle dance became the slave's ring shout, and the clockwise direction disappeared completely because of the overwhelming desire of the Africans for the other direction. In this way, they were detribalized by the experience of slavery, and at the same time, a new nation was being created, the African-American. Its creation was easily kept a secret. Slave owners did not, of course, believe that the slaves had any culture at all. Some of the early researchers on the lives of the slaves tell of waiting for years before witnessing a ring shout, and former slaves interviewed as late as the 1920s testified that it had not been considered a good idea to tell any person half of what you knew. If the white man thought that slaves were incapable of cultural or spiritual values, so be it. No doubt the slaves felt safer that way, as well as better able to retain a sense of their own identity. An African-American culture has been developing on American soil for over 350 years, shaped first by slavery and then by naked racism. And it is from that culture that the subject of our story comes. Therefore, neither her life nor her works can be judged by the standards of European Puritanism, which yields far too much evidence of ignorance and hypocrisy. In 1630, a Virginia court decided that one Hugh Smith was to be soundly whipped before an assembly of Negroes and others for abusing himself to the dishonor of God and shame of Christianity by defiling his body and lying with a Negro. Despite social disapproval of miscegenation, the existence of the priapic white man was soon acknowledged by the law, for in 1662 the question of the status of children begotten by Englishmen on Negro women had to be settled. All children born in this colony shall be bond or free only according to the condition of the mother. The principle of slavery as an inherited condition was thus reinforced, as well as an inherent element of racism— if a child had black blood, it would be a slave no matter who its father was. In 1705, the legislature had to define mulatto, and it was not long before the slave society's own practice of miscegenation led to the placing of the white southern woman on a pedestal, for she was the only one who could guarantee the perpetuation of the superior race. A Reverend Thomas Hawley was quoted in a book in 1839 I can say that I have been in respectable families, so-called, where I could distinguish the family resemblance in the slaves who waited upon the table. I once hired a slave who belonged to his own uncle. 
and not too long after that, Rebecca Fagan was born. A son's death certificate a century later gave her maiden name as Hammond, but one way or another the name Fagan had been bestowed by the Irish on an African-American family of Baltimore, Maryland.